Thank you, guys. Thank you very much. Well, we sang most of my teaching, so if anybody has anywhere they have to be, it's no problem. You can take off now. You got it all. Welcome to our family room this morning. Um, it's not a, something that we just say, although it might feel like that. Well, you always say, welcome to the family room. It is our family room. We pray for people. We stand with people. We sing songs, and we sometimes heckle the speakers from that side, usually, and uh, where we're doing life on Sunday mornings together. So welcome, welcome into our family room. Tom and Nick, thank you so much for sharing last week. Uh, it was a blessing to have a time off to be here, just participate. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for sharing your hearts. <clears throat> on October 8th, 1918, an American battalion was pinned down by machine gun fire. This is in World War I along a rail line in North France. Sergeant Alvin C. York described, the Germans got us. They stopped us dead in our tracks. Their machine guns were up there on the heights overlooking us and well hidden. We couldn't tell for certain where the terrible heavy fire was coming from. Those machine guns were spitting fire and cutting down the undergrowth all around me. With all but eight of his platoon killed, Sergeant York took charge, proceeded to take out 32 machine gun nests of the enemy and take 132 captive. Sergeant Alvin C. York received the Medal of Honor. Later in life, he's quoted as, this, as saying this statement. Now, before I say this, Sergeant Alvin C. York didn't, wasn't very educated. If you read the transcript that was written of a lot of his speeches, uh, he was from the Hollers, I think it was in Kentucky, I should look that up for sure, it was somewhere down south, and he spoke in very broken English when you wrote it out. But this was his statement. The fear of God, this is at, when he received the Medal of Honor, the fear of God makes a hero, but the fear of man makes a coward. Sergeant York had a healthy understanding of God and his presence with him, and therefore a healthy amount of courage in the face of natural hopelessness. The title of the teaching this morning is called A Snare. If you're writing it down or if you're posting it online, the teaching Olivia, it is titled A Snare. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25 reads, the fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. This morning, we're, our teaching, we're kind of, uh, anybody ever went to a destination? We travel up north to my in-law's cottage, and, but periodically we go up to see the Mackinac Bridge, which is not their cottage, it's a separate little side trip. Anybody ever done something like you're going one place, but you stop along the way? That's what this morning's teaching, which could be more, Danny. It could not be just one teaching. We'll see. But we're kind of, we're taking a, a little detour this morning, and we're going to stop right here at something that I feel like the Lord, I know, very clearly quickened for this morning, for this body. This is something that is, 
perhaps one of the most powerful things going on in society today. And I felt like this week the Lord really encouraged me to speak on this. The fear of man brings a snare. Fear in that verse is the Strong's word 2731, and it's a noun, meaning a trembling, quaking, or anxious fear. The fear of man is a trembling fear. It's a quaking fear. It's an uncertain fear, which leads to anxiety. How many of you have ever paid attention to what the numbers of people that are diagnosed with something that has something to do with anxiety? What have they done in the last 100 years? They've, it's just a straight line up. Anxiety is everywhere. In fact, there's an interesting relationship between the advancements of technology and the onset of anxiety. As technology has progressed, we've become more and more connected and yet more and more isolated. Through this virtual connection, anxiety goes crazy. This trembling, quaking, and anxious fear. The fear of man is a trembling, quaking, and anxious fear. And it's a noun, it's a person, place, or thing. It's, a speci- it's not an action, it's a condition. It's a way of being, this fear of man. But it says, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Trust in, which is, it's two words in the English, but it's one in the Hebrew, is Strong's number 982, and it's a verb. But whoever trusts in, actively trusts in, the word, that verb means a place of refuge, to trust, to take confidence in, or to find boldness. Whoever trusts in, that's where we get our boldness. We trust in the Lord, you'll get boldness. We talk about that a lot. We're gonna, we'll circle back to it eventually. The Proverbs 28, one, that the wicked flee when no man pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. We get that boldness from trusting in the Lord. Now, back up in that verse a little bit. The fear of man brings a snare. This, this sentence has been, or it's a fragment of a sentence, has been rolling around in my head for a long, long time. And as I, everywhere I look, every person I've spoken with in the last seven days, not every person, but every day in the last seven days, I have encountered this in specific detail, someone discussing a portion of the fear of man and how it's a snare and how it traps us. So we, I want to look at this a little bit. Some translations say the fear of man is a trap, which a snare is a form of a trap. We're going to look at a couple definitions here. The word trap, as defined in the American Heritage Dictionary, is a contrivance for catching or holding animal and holding animals as a concealed pit or a clamp-like device that springs shut suddenly. Anybody ever seen a conibear trap? They're pretty aggressive looking, especially when they're set or if they have something in them. They look pretty aggressive. And the second definition, a stratagem for catching or tricking an unwary or unaware person. The third definition of trap is a confining or undesirable circumstance from which escape or relief is difficult. So think about this. The fear of man is a confining or undesirable circumstance from which escape or relief is difficult. Well, that's 
That seems very clear, doesn't it? It's con- it confines us. When we, get, when we develop this unhealthy fear of mankind, we feel confined. How do you stop fearing man? It's an undesirable circumstance because what did we look at the word fear? It's rooted in anxiety. We all know, I don't have to teach on anxiety to know, that's not a desirable condition. If you find yourself in a pit of anxiety, like it was a substance, you would want to get out. It's not a desirable place to be. This is such a, I just want to, sometimes if we slow ourselves down, we can read through it. It's like, yeah, the fear of man brings a trap. That's a great word. Let's carry on with life. But if we stop and think about this stuff, it is a trap. And this is what's kind of a a side note to this. Interestingly enough, if a trap is effective, the trapped thing needs something outside to free it. Think about that. I mean, you've seen, you, we all, this is maybe a little too gruesome, but if you've ever trapped anything, you've occasionally come across a trap that has part of an animal in it because the animal's like, survival on three legs is better than death with four. So they chew their leg off and away they go. It's a little gruesome, but a trap, to be freed from an effective trap, you need someone to release it. This is simple stuff, but let's just, Bear with me. So the fear of man is a confining or undesirable circumstance from which escape or relief almost always requires outside help or assistance. It's a strategy for catching or tricking an unwary person, a trap. And it's a contrivance for catching and holding animals like a concealed pit or a clamp-like device that springs shut suddenly. Why is it important that a, a trap would spring suddenly? This is not, not a trick question. This is not, like, if you took a counter bear trap and you're like, let's give it like a seven-second close time, we wouldn't catch a lot. It would be what's known as an ineffective trap. It's like, man, I set the trap every day. I've never caught anything because it won't work. It needs to be sudden. It needs to be unsuspected. So then we look a little deeper. Most translations of that verse translate, the fear of man brings a snare which is a form of a trap. So everything we just looked at is an accurate set of definitions for this, but we're gonna, get, we're gonna hone it down just a little bit, little bit more. A trapping device, this is also an American Heritage Dictionary, a trapping device often consisting of a noose used for capturing birds or small mammals, something that lures, I love this definition, it's so clear. It is, a snare is something that lures or entangles the unaware. The idea of a snare is that it appears to not be a trap. It does not look, it doesn't appear like a trap. The, you've all seen in movies, I'm sure, or, or read about a perfect set snare looks ju- like, we always picture like the jungle or the forest, and it's like, there's nothing to see here. There's just leaves and a few branches and stuff and some vines, and the next thing you know, you're hanging upside down by one foot. And it just looked like the, well, how, what, how is it concealed? Or you've seen, I like it in movies, they do it uh, slow motion, where you see them, they sort of trip the snare, and then you see the leaves all start rustling, and they're like, oh, heavens, what have we done? And then instantly they're hanging upside down. A snare is a trap that's designed to not be seen. If you set a bear outside your front door, you may, you may stumble into it, but you would see it. It's like, oh, hey, hey, somebody set a trap here for me. I see that. 
But if you set a snare, you're just walking, just going about your life, everything's hunky-dory, and wham, you're upside down. You're captured in this snare. Now, the fear of man is a snare. We talked about that. It's a trap. It's undesirable. It's confining. We just kind of looked through that a little bit. But what do you think the fear of the Lord is? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. According to Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, in the New King James, it reads, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Can you bring that amplified up then? I like this. It kind of fleshes out a little bit. It helps us to understand it uh, with more dimensions here. The reverent fear of the Lord, that is worshiping him, regarding him as truly awesome, is the beginning and the preeminent part of wisdom. It's starting point and it's very essence. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding and spiritual insight. You see the contrast here. You can fear man and you're going to, we, we can walk with anxiety, we can be trapped, we can be confined, we can be hopeless. There's no real good comes from the fear of man. Or we can walk in the fear of the Lord. We can have the beginning, the preeminent part of wisdom, starting point in its essence. And the knowledge of the Holy One, we can have understanding and spiritual insight. And it goes on, for by me, wisdom from God, your days will be multiplied and your years of life shall be increased. That's 9, 10, and 11. Sorry, I didn't tell you that, Olivia. It goes on in 11. It says, so I'll read it all in just without stopping. The reverent fear of the Lord, that is worshiping him and regarding him as truly awesome, is the beginning and the preeminent part of wisdom, its starting point and its essence. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding and spiritual insight. For by me, the wisdom of God, wisdom from God, your days will be multiplied and the years of your life shall be increased. There's a contrast. Anxiety is one of the leading causes. Anxiety, fear, and worry are one of the leading causes of heart disease, high blood pressure, all kinds of physical problems that we know now aren't good for living old. That's, like, that's not newsflash. No one should be jaw dropped like, really? No, but we've known that for a while now. And anxiety comes from the fear of man, an anxious apprehension of what man may think or say regarding us. It reflects our lack of awareness or understanding of the greatness of our God and our relationship with him. See, the fear of God, there's a lot of people preach the fear of God, a lot of people talk about the fear of God in a very, uh, kind of an anxious way also. Like we have an anxiety, like, oh, I don't know where I'm gonna come down with God. And Jesus came to fill the law full and to provide salvation by grace through faith. And we know Romans 1 talks about the gospel is what? I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is the power of God. So what we're talking about this morning, you might be thinking, okay, where are we going with the gospel here? There is a power that comes in the gospel. A friend of mine, you guys know Grant Fraley, he's preached here. He preached a message, I listened to it the other day, about the, the difference between mercy and grace and how much of what the church today talks about grace is actually mercy. Because grace, there's in the word grace, in the principle of grace, there is this favor which lends itself to power and ability. 
It's not just, well, I'm, you know, it's like, I, I guess God's not counting my sin against me. That's mercy. But grace, there's a built-in power that comes. So this morning, what I want to talk about, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, unto deliverance, unto all the things that are involved in that word salvation in the Greek. The gospel is that. So what we're talking about this morning, this is a facet of the gospel that when we have a firm understanding on the gospel, you know what we won't walk in? Fear of man. We have a healthy fear of the Lord, understanding his greatness. That's where wisdom begins. But grace and truth comes through Jesus. We don't just stay at the beginning in wisdom. We want to start in wisdom. We want to get established. The preeminent part of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. But then we want to keep walking. We want to trust Jesus, have him bring grace and truth into our lives. Understand that? So then, now if we're, we've got the preeminent part of wisdom, which is the fear of the Lord, and now we understand the grace and truth that came through Jesus. We've received mercy. We've received grace. And now we can walk with power in this world. We can walk with authority. We can walk with confidence. We can stand up to the mob. We can do just like Sergeant York did. There's, it's hopeless. Him and eight guys took a hundred and some odd prisoners after taking out umpteen machine gun nests. That's, there's no chance. But what he was aware of, he had a greater fear of God than he did fear of death, than he did fear of Germans, fear of man. He had, it was not operating in fear of man in that moment. Instead, if we're choosing not to operate in the fear of man, we can operate in the fear of the Lord, which lends itself to courage. Because we know who we are. You might think, is this all this guy ever talks about? Yes, basically. See, Scripture is littered with folks who operated in the fear of man, even after attaining a healthy fear of the Lord. You might think, well, yeah, I did this. I nailed the whole fear of man to the ground like years ago, and I'm, it, okay, let's do it again, because we can, go, we can go back to this. We can function in the fear of the Lord for a while and understand grace, and then little by little, we can be eroded by the conditions of the world. The gravitational pull of the earth is towards the fear of man. Every device and scheme of the devil is shaped to function through the fear of man. And so it's out there. You're going to bump into it. You're going to, it's going to bump into you. It's going to, you're going to get some of that paint, you know, racing, you're trading paint. You're going to get some of the paint of the world on you. And if we don't renew our minds to this reality on a daily basis, we will find ourselves walking in the fear of man. Abraham, two times he lied about his wife being his sister on account of what? Fear of man. Fear of man, he was afraid. Like, I'm not real sure this could work out poorly for me. What will they think if I tell them the truth? So he chose to do what? Why don't we just lie? It could work out. Now, in Joseph's life, I love Joseph. He's one of my favorites. We see this story. In this story, the fear of man is guiding his brothers. Amongst them, the fear of man was alive and well, and yet Joseph himself operated entirely in the fear of the Lord, avoiding countless snares along the way. The snares were referencing back to the fear of man. He avoided them. You see, when he received the dreams, we've talked about, like, you can make the case that he was, you know, like, maybe functioning kind of as young and dumb when he shared his dreams, but he just, lack of concern for what his brothers thought. I got this dream. This is what I feel like the Lord's laid on my heart. I got this dream with clarity. I'm just going to tell you. Now, the fear of man would say, shh. It's like, cut it out. You don't, these are your brothers. Don't tell them that. 
He operates with this fear of the Lord being the highest level of respect in his life all through his whole life. To the point where he was, you know the fear of man can, there's a, there's a, I'll say a positive, it's not actually a positive. To the point where he's going to Pharaoh, there can be this like sort of self thing with the fear of man. It's all rooted in self, but there can be this like positive side. It's like, well, operating the fear of man. Pharaoh's like, you can interpret dreams in that moment. Who among us, this is the most powerful man in all the free world, not so free, but in all the world, and he asks you, can you interpret dreams? You've just interpreted some proper, properly interpreted some dreams. I was like, maybe just say yes. And sort of like, Lord, I know, I'll tell him about you later. That seems logical. No, he's like, no, no, I can't. I'm nothing. Okay, could end up in prison. Joseph, no, tell him you can. He's like, no, I can't, but the Lord can. He'll tell me. Which requires for Pharaoh to take him at his word. It requires, it requires Pharaoh to trust in the Lord for a minute. You think about that? Because he just asked Joseph, so you can interpret dreams. No, but the Lord can. Okay, interpret my dream. Pharaoh had to say, okay, so this guy can't, but his God can, and then he took steps to say, okay, I guess I'll trust that the Lord can and will through you. Just a little side note, snippet. So Aaron operated in the fear of man. We talked about this a lot when he participated in the golden calf scandal. It's like, I don't know, this mob, like they want a God and... I don't know what's going on on the mountain, so yeah, hey, bring me your earrings, I'll make a thing. And we know it was the fear of man because as soon as Moses came down, he's like, I don't know what happened. Like, we put the gold in the fire and then out came a calf. I was terrified of these people. Moses lived, Moses is an interesting cat because he lived in the tension between, which is a, there's a whole other discussion we're not gonna have today, but he lived in the tension between the fear of man and the fear of the Lord on account largely of his constant contact with the Lord. And when Moses had contact with the Lord, how many of you know it was on a mountain with smoke and earthquake and fire? It was like, just so you know, Moses, this is, you, they may look scary, but this is me. The Lord was very clear about his greatness and his, ma his magnificence to Moses. So he lived in constant contact with the Lord in such tangible and incredible ways, but often he dropped the ball and caved to the fear of man. You see it, and then he comes back, he kind of goes back and forth a little bit more like Abraham. Gideon operated in the fear of man. And these are, they did some good things too. How many of you know, thank you Jesus, he was still using them. Gideon operated in the fear of man. Samson was consumed literally by the fear of man. Many of the kings, starting with Israel's very first one, they started off great. <laughs> King Saul, it's like whatever the people want, this is what we're gonna do. I mean, that's how they got King Saul was the fear of man. Can I get an Amen. King Saul operated almost entirely by the fear of man. King David had his bouts with the fear of man, but never spent much time there. Being a man after God's own heart, his awareness, his constant awareness of the Lord kept him much of the time from the snare. I was thinking about this. We're not going to spend a bunch of time here, but this is just a little side thing on David and Bathsheba. You know, uh, there's some people find a lot of hope in the story of David and Bathsheba. It's like, well, David was a man after God's own heart, and look at that whole fiasco. And they use that like to sort of pat themselves. It's like, I've never done that. Interesting, this is kind of a little 
a, a positive that you can kind of see in that. So you can say, that was a terrible decision, actually a whole series of terrible decisions on David's part, right? We understand that, it was a bunch of bad decisions, starting with not going out to war. But then what's funny, you see he's still not being led by the fear of man. He's still a man after God's own heart, even in that, and you say, how do you get that? Because the fear of man's public opinion would tell him, your plan to get Uriah the Hittite killed, you shouldn't tell anyone about that. He was not concerned about public opinion. He sent his messenger, the messenger went to the general, the general said, okay, we'll send him to the front of the line. He was, he was not controlled. Now, I'm not elevating that situation. Don't anyone think that I've just, you know, polished the turd and it's still a turd. You know, it's a bad story. It's a bad situation and a bunch of decisions. But you see, he was still not consumed and controlled by the fear of man. It's almost like he was indifferent to the fear of, it's like, yeah, and some of it maybe his awareness of being a king, but he wasn't consumed. It's like, well, they could really be upset by this. No, I'm not gonna be consumed by it. Now, keep moving. We're gonna keep, we got a lot of things we're gonna get through. We're gonna keep moving. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three of my favorite humans in all of human history, had such a clear understanding of the Lord that even when faced with death by fire and complete isolation, they weren't like, you know, there's like a hundred of us. No, there was three. And they defied the fear of man two different ways. These guys, I love this story. So as much as I like these three guys, their parents or whoever was responsible for raising them are actually my favorites. Because somehow they instilled in these boys that, you see, understand, I want, you guys have a few extra minutes this morning. I want, they were not just, we tell the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If I was gonna tell it in two seconds, I would say, well, you know, they refused to bow to the idol. And then they refused again, and they threw him in the fire furnace, and there was a fourth man in there, and then they come out, and it's like, everybody's like, that's the real God, obviously, because the guards who threw him in were smoked. But there's a story within the story. These guys were brought to Babylon, and they were given everything. You see, this wasn't just a prison, we're gonna toss them in the fire, this bad negative stuff. They defied the fear of man on the positive side first. Does this make, like, there's a fear of man that's not like fear of torture and fear of torment. There's a fear of man that operates in wealth and possessions and provisions. They defied that first. Before they were ever faced with being thrown in the fiery furnace, they said they were handed tons of earthly possessions. If it would have been today, they would have had the cars, they would have had the cash, they would have had the cards. They would have had everything they needed. They would have been, here, we're gonna make you a big deal. They would have had the education. They would have had the clout. They would have had blue check marks if they had Twitter. They would have been it. And before they ever were faced with the fiery furnace, they said, yeah, we're standing up. We're not bowing to that. Full well knowing the blue check mark's gone, the cars are gone, the cards, the credit cards are gone, the cash is gone, the girls are gone. Everything that we was like, this was our life, we were a big deal, all gone. They, they defied that form of the fear of man, and then they get a little further down, I'm gonna knock something over up here. They get a little further down, and it's like, okay, obviously you don't value that stuff, but how about your own life? I'm gonna throw you in the fiery furnace. And they speak up with boldness. Our God is more than able to deliver us. Not exhausting him at all. The lights in heaven ain't gonna dim. And if he doesn't, 
not a big deal, we're not bowing. And the king was incensed. And you see it like his face was distorted. The one word is, is contorted with rage. He was like, how dare you not fear me? If you won't fear me, you should at least fear death. And you don't fear that, so I'm gonna give you a healthy fear of it. And they're just like, Let's, that's fine. We fear God so much more than we fear you. And not, again, not a terror. This is a reverence, an awareness. It's almost like, it's an acute awareness. Like, we understand the magnitude of our God so much more than that. It's like, oh, it's seven times hotter. It's still just a fire. Our God is the God who created fire. We're going to be fine. In fact, gravity, what holds us on the earth, it's also his deal. We'll be fine. Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego had such a clear understanding of the Lord that even when faced with death by fire, the fear of man could not penetrate their mind, their will, and their emotions. Now, skipping a little, we skipped a, we're going to skip a chunk of scripture. We're going to get up to Peter's. This is kind of what triggered this whole deal today. Peter's behavior the night of Jesus' betrayal and imprisonment, the day before the crucifixion, is a case study in the fear of man. It's operating flawlessly. It is on display and recorded for us to see how this can operate. The purpose, you guys know, the purpose of a case study is not for the study itself, right? Everybody aware of that? Like, we don't have to teach science class today. But the purpose of a case study is to inform a whole bunch of other people of the principle we've just revealed in the case study. Peter, we know, correctly declared that Jesus was Christ the pr prior to this night. Before this moment, Peter had declared out of his mouth, Jesus said out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, and Peter had spoken out of the overflow of his heart, you are, you know, the famous question, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ, the Messiah. And Jesus said, on this rock, on the reality that you know that I am the Christ, that's what we're gonna build the church on. That will, and against, the gates of hell can't stand against that truth right there, church. That's good news. It's not what we're preaching on exactly right now, but I had to get that out there. We have recorded the words he spoke the very night of his denial where he said in Luke chapter 22, verses 33, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Now that is a dedicated disciple. Now if we just close the book there, it's like, I don't, that's not fear of man. That's like definite awe and reverence of Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. Lord, I am ready to go. Not like I'll get ready to go. I'll try to be ready to go. No, I am ready to go with you. To prison, death, whatever comes first. Which, to Peter's defense, he did attempt. He tried. In the garden with his knife. John 18, verses 10 through 11 in the New King James reads, Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? And then we know Jesus healed Malchus. He touched his ear and he made him well. This healing of the high priest's servants, servant had a, a very disconcerting effect on Peter. Now, you know that Peter is sort of my spirit animal from Scripture, and so I always try and give him the benefit of the doubt. 
Because it's like, I, I don't know, I, you know, in the moment, it's like, man, you just said all this stuff, right? But then this whole deal with Malchus happened. And if we're in Peter's shoes right there, it's kind of like everything in his world seemed to shake for a moment. Wait, wait, what? What are we, you're going, what? And from that moment, he was disconcerted. From this point on, he responds to the fear of man that is present. From this very, there's not another instance where Peter steps out in faith that whole night. He operates in the fear of man. We see him in the courtyard, denying even knowing Jesus. And then he denies it again. And then he denies it with vehement profanity. Absolutely do not know him. Now he didn't, someone accused him of knowing Jesus. He's like, ah, <laughs> not me. Contrast this with the scripture that Jody shared in the beginning. The criminal on the cross, beside Jesus. I, I know him, I think he's the Christ. Oh, we don't have any evidence that that criminal was a disciple up to that point. In fact, everything points to the contrary, that he was a criminal, just plain old regular criminal. In that moment, he's like, this guy's done nothing wrong. I think he's the Christ. Where Peter's like, he's his follower who had just declared, number one, he's the Christ, the awaited one, the anointed one, the one we've waited for forever. 1,500 years of prophecy, and I think you're the guy. And in a moment, it's like, I don't know who he is. And Again, to Peter's defense, there's a part of him that's like, I really don't know what this is. I don't know what's going on. Now, it came, he said, I don't know who he is. I'm not defending him. But it's like, he didn't know what was going on. He didn't understand what was all happening. This, we, we can see this reality play out in our society today. Our society today functions on high-octane fear of man. We see this. I mean, look around. I've, there's been things, like I said, every day for the last seven days, there's been a conversation or a discussion or a thing that I've seen that has been so clearly pointing to this fear of man present in our society. You say, I don't think I really have the fear of man. I don't think I operate. Okay. When our decisions begin to be guided by others' opinions, we are operating in the fear of man. Now, there's a difference between seeking wise counsel. We have, to be very under, we have to be very clear that just anticipating what someone else may think and then shifting our course accordingly, that is the fear of man operating in our lives. And it's a snare and it's a trap. And it affects us. Now, it can be, it can be anything. Like, it can be something, I think about, th it could be something that you buy or don't buy something that you wear or don't wear. It can come right into church. When I was standing back there singing, we were singing, it was an awesome worship set this morning, and I was thinking about how we worship can even be very clearly controlled by this snare. All my life you, will be, you have been faithful. I'm gonna sing of the goodness of God for all. If we think about we, like, I'm not telling anyone what to do, but like, there shouldn't have been any of us still standing on the floor. We should all have either been jumping or on the chairs. All my life, he's been faithful. Faithful in what? Yeah, all the little things, all that stuff's fine. 
But you realize that because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, you are right with the eternal God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, who knows no bounds, who has no beginning and has no end, and you have legal right standing with him because of Jesus. What does anyone's opinion think? What does anybody's opinion matter? I'm right with the Lord. There's nothing. Dump tar on me. Dump chicken feathers on me. Set me on fire. Whatever. That's the opinion that many Christians have understood over the years. And yet today it's like, I'm, I'm here. I'm not picking on anybody. But it's like, all my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so you see me, Lord? This is me. I'm, I, I'm, not, I'm picking on us as a society, not on me and not on anyone in this room. And not everyone expresses themselves the same way. But understand, if Tom had been singing a song, in the middle of the song, he said, hey, how many of us are in here? 85 people? Perfect. I got 85 envelopes on the front of the stage here with a billion dollars in each one of them. Everybody just make your way up to the front. We're not doing communion today. We're just giving people money. Come up and get it. How many of you know that there would be some, woo, yeah, thank you, Jesus, or Tom, or whoever, wherever it came from? We would lose our minds, and we would be fine jumping. It's like, we got a billion dollars. We're going to pay off whatever the thing is that we owe somebody for. We're going to buy a bunch of other stuff. We're going to, our whole life changed. My kids' life changed. My grandkids' life changed. I got some, I'm going to buy, I'm going to buy a farm. I'm going to buy, and we just go crazy. And yet when we die, money's gone. We can take it with us. Nothing that we buy goes with us. Over and done with. It's just a paper thing. In fact, if you were to light all that money on fire, it would have no value. Like right here, if we had 85 envelopes, all with $85 billion cash right here, right across here. And then it's actual cash. And I was to take a little lighter in front of you all. I know I would never preach here again. But if I was to take a lighter and light all of them on fire and they burned up, they would have no value. Like, no, it wouldn't be like, well, I had a billion dollars. I'm going to take that to the bank. Let me know how that goes. I had a billion dollars. I'm going to fill out a deposit slip. This is for money I had, but my preacher burned it. Like, well, then you don't have it anymore, and it's gone. And yet, we have been given a gift with intrinsic value that's eternal, it's not value. It's like, well, you know, the value of gold, that's always going to be there. You can burn gold. Just got to get a hot enough fire. You cannot burn the gift we've been given. Your very DNA has been changed, and you are now an inheritor with Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. And yet we devalue that so quickly, and we're like, eh. yeah, I mean, what if, if, I don't know. Like, what if somebody looks at me funny? And what if, you know, it could get worse. It can get to the point where, where there's, there's been Christians that have been beheaded. There's been Christians that have been uh, starved, that have been thrown, all these terrible things. Like, what if, you know, what if that happens? Are you still right with the Lord? Are we still right with the Lord? What if, I don't, you know, like, what if no one likes my post? And? I, uh, I had the experience to go to a concert the other day, and I witnessed from where I was sitting two things. Number one, um, I'm older than I thought. <laughs> I mean, legitimately older. I was cranky. It was, I was not, it's not my best. Not my best. Um, number two, 
I witnessed, I stood, because that's what you do apparently. I had a nice seat for sitting my jacket on. And I stood and I watched, looked across the auditorium or the, the stadium, huge venue, people everywhere. And better than 50%, probably closer to 75%, were more concerned with letting the virtual universe know where they were, what they looked like, who they were with, than on anything going on around them. Take pictures of me. Take pictures of me. How am I looking? How am I, what am I doing? That is the, and I'm not mad at any of them. I was sad for them. I was so sad. I'm like, just be where you are. Doesn't matter what anyone thinks about where you are. Doesn't matter what anyone thinks about what you look like where you are. Doesn't matter what anyone thinks about what you're wearing and what you look like and who you're listening to and who you're sitting beside. Just be where you are. This virtual, the social, uh, what do you call them? The, like Facebook, what's it called? It's a, uh, social media. Is an, it's an ironic name. And I apologize, Tammy. Sometimes I get a little carried away with some of my digital or my, my uh, Facebook slamming. I'm not mad at Facebook. But social media is ironically named social media. You say, what do you mean it's ironic? Well, it's ironic because it kills society. Social, so this isn't even that social. But you want to see social, you go back there sometime when Lindsay Greaser brings cookies and they're sitting in the back and it's like a whole herd of people are all standing around there and I mean, it's not always a positive thing because sometimes there's pushing and shoving, but it's people being social, having, that's social. If it's on a device and you're alone, it ain't social. And this principle is, it's, it is the fear of man gone to seed in our lives. Being controlled, it's just an application of it. I'm not, this isn't a like, everyone get rid of Facebook. I don't, it's irrelevant. I want to see us get above where society controls us. Where I, it's irrelevant if someone likes or dislikes. Someone speaks highly of or someone speaks negatively of. It doesn't, it's irrelevant. First John chapter four, verses 17 through 19 reads, love has been perfected among us in this. This way is how love has been perfected in us. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he, capital H, Jesus is, so are we in this world. Right now, right now, here in this world, you are the righteousness of God created in Christ Jesus. You ain't trying to become righteous. You're not hoping and wishing and praying that maybe you are the, as he is, so are we in this world. Now, there is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. That word casts out we, sometimes, we don't get that because how many of you know we have drains in our sinks? Like all of our sinks in our house have drains. Not all of them work properly, but we have drains in all of our sinks in our house. And so when we're done washing our hands, when I'm done washing my hands, if I were to capture all of that water in a bucket, it would be disgusting at the end of the day because my hands are dirty. I'm working and get dirty. But it all goes down the drain. I don't see it. And then it's like, I'll just rinse out the sink a little bit and I'm done. But this principle of something being cast out is like, 
to capture that water, all of the filth of the day, all of the, you do the dishes, Everybody, anybody in here got a garbage disposal? Now, I, I'm telling you, and Melinda's not here to defend herself, she has nearly stalled ours out. It's like, <laughs> my goodness, what's in there? It's like, well, so you put all of this stuff, the filth, the junk, the stuff, put it in a bucket and cast it outside. They used to do that. That's how you, you did dishes. You washed stuff, and then you threw it outside. Perfect love When the love of Jesus, the unconditional love of Jesus, agape love, you can't earn it, even if you wanna. When that is shed abroad in your heart, it buckets up all of the junk that is fear, fear of man, fear of death, fear of failure, all these fears, buckets it all up, and it's like, that is disgusting. Someone should throw that outside. And then it opens the door and it casts it outside. That's the picture. It's a, it's a metaphorical picture for us to think. Perfect love buckets up all of our fear, the junk, and casts it outside because fear involves torment. And you say, well, not if it doesn't come to pass. You can fe- How many of you know there's a difference between the torment in fear and fear of torment? There's a difference in that. See, there is torment in fear. You know what it's called? Anxiety. Torment. You can get tight spots in your back from the torment that is in fear. And now, a lot of times we think of fear, don't we, in our culture, we think of fear like uh, big, shiny moments. The house was on fire and I was afraid, I was fearful. I was fearful of getting whatever, some punishment. Fearful, like, but fear is just a, it's a guiding, it's a negative guiding force. It's a force of uncertainty. In fact, it can become a God in our lives. He who fears, I gotta finish that scripture, he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. You cannot take this love and go home and try to do it. Hallelujah. I've done that. And you get really tired and anxious. <laughs> to try to do this on your own, it won't work. You have to receive the love of the Father. We love him because he first loved us. This fear of man can become, function like a God in our lives. Small G-O-D can be the Lord over our lives. You know, we talk about making Jesus the Lord of our lives. Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, anybody know what the very first of the Ten Commandments are? Which is just the beginning of 613, but what's the very first one, most important one, the one that all of them are built on, the foundation, the cornerstone, the one they set first. You shall have no other gods before me. That's it's, kind of gotten quick in our Christians. Like, that's a quick, like, you shall have no other gods before you, so don't have any other gods. And if, if you have any statues in your house, you should throw them out. There's way more to it than that. You should esteem no one else, no thing else. No other thing should be our guide, our leader. No other thing should dictate when we move and when we stay. Shall have no other gods before me. Whoever and whatever we serve and observe as our God and relate to as a God, you know what they'll do? Whatever that thing, so whoever 
can be everyone that we know. It can be all of our followers on a thing. It can be, it can be a few people that we just really, I've got, there's a few people in my life that I have sh- tried to shed this fear of man for years and I, I keep circling back around to it and it's like, here it is again. I'm still afraid of what they think. Whoever and whatever we serve and observe as our God and we relate to it as our God will do exactly what Jehovah was doing for the children of Israel. You say, well, what do you mean? Who led them? The children of Israel. Who told them what to do? Sorry, who led the children of Israel? Jehovah. Who told them what to do? Jehovah. Who set their boundaries? Jehovah. Who told them how to build their camp? Jehovah. Whatever we worship as God in our lives and we fear as God in our lives will do all of those same things for us and not in the benevolent Jehovah manner. We will be guided all through life. There's a, one of the definitions of, of the fear of man, one of the applications of the word the fear of man brings a snare is the picture of a ring in a bull's nose. Now, I worked on a farm that had, uh, they ran bulls and almost all of them had a great big old ring in their nose. Never thought much of it. It's just kind of how they always were. But I've seen people use those rings, and you snap a rope or a chain onto a ring in a bull's nose, and you just got yourself a kitten. They'll just go wherever you want. I mean, as a human, which I'm not a, you know, a steer or bull, but I mean, if you was to do that to me, I'd probably do the same. Be led about, be controlled, be guided, be tamed by the fear of man. Last thing on this fear of man, I guess it'll be the last thing, um, to be tamed by the fear of man. Now, I have done some time in this one. I mean, I've done time in all of these, but I've, I've done more than my fair share of time in being tamed by the fear of man. What, is, what do I mean by being tamed by the, the fear of man can, prove, can serve just like a ring in a bull's snout where it's like now he's just tame and gentle. And I was led about wherever. It's like here we go. We're not doing the crazy thing we were going to do. Anybody ever had the Lord lay something on your heart and then you feel that ring in your nose and it's like, oh yeah, there's other people around. And all of a sudden their opinion matters. All of a sudden it's ah, I'm not sure about preaching that Lord. I don't know because what if so-and-so was here? I distinctly remember one time I had a message prepared to preach. This is several years ago. And uh, I was, man, I was locked in on this message. I was wound and I had messaged Tom back and forth. This was several, quite a few years ago. I had messaged him back and forth about this and it was like, it was pretty strong. It was like, but I'm ready. I was locked. I had energy. I had most of a pot of coffee and I was ready to go. And I got here, and I sat right back there in my corner. If anyone's visiting, we do do assigned seats here, so see somebody afterwards, and they'll tell you where to sit. I was sitting in my corner, and I see a couple people walk in. Never been here before, and most people here didn't know them, and I knew them, and I was terrified. Tom didn't know that I knew him. Didn't know anything about it. Nothing. He comes over to me. I don't know, you weren't leading worship. Maybe it was before worship, I can't remember. But he came over to me, put his hand on my shoulder, and his mouth right next to my ear and whispered, full send, don't back down, just preach. And he walked away, and I'm like, 
I'll decide. <laughs> you don't know who all's here that I know. I'm not going to know. And I, that nearly knocked me off course. And I did. I, I'll testify. I will confess my weakness to you. I held back a few things. I didn't hold it all back, but I'm like, Lord, they're here. Are you sure about this? We could just, what if we just read scripture this morning? Can we do that? It can tame us down. And that's just a small glimpse. Maybe it's, you might be sitting here today and you've had the Lord's had something on your heart. Like, I want you to do this. I want you to start this. I want you to go here. I want you to move to this city. I want you to go share the gospel with this person. I want, whatever the thing is that the Lord's kind of like, come on, let's go. And you feel that ring. And it might be, it might be somebody that nobody in here knows. It might be somebody from your past. It might be somebody that would have no concern at all. In fact, most of the time it is that way. No concern at all about what you do, but you've, that rings in your nose where it's like, eh, I'll be tamed. I'm, I'm, we've all experienced it, where we've been tamed down, where the Lord's calling us in to you fill in the blank, and we're like, uh, I mean, what about the poll of public opinion? To which the Lord sits in the heavens and laughs. The poll of public opinion? I created them. I am not concerned by their opinion of this. Just do what I called you to do. Say what I told you to say. Pray what I told you to pray. And don't worry about all the other people that I also created and their opinion of you. Now this is a, I, did I, I said that was the last thing, but it's only, it's, I got a few more minutes. If our eyes are fixed on the Jones next door or somebody at work or a friend for approval or disapproval, they aren't very well able to be fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now the eye, the human eye is one of the most complex organs in the human body. We know a lot of things. We don't know exactly how the eye works. And yet, so this is a fun, fun fact. You, we each have two feet. This is a generalization. Please, no one send me hate mail about somebody you know that does not have both feet. I'm just generally speaking, humanity's got two feet. And so as such, a little picture of this, I can stand on two things at once. Standing on this platform and this platform. I can also, I have two hands. So I can hold two things. These aren't connected. They're not the same thing. I'm holding both of them. Not holding one of them less than the other, am I? They're both equally suspended. I also have two eyes. And yet, interestingly, it is impossible for a human to focus on more than one thing. We can hold two things. We can stand on two things. Women think they can do two things at once. We cannot focus. She's not here. She's not here. That's true. Very good point. I feel I've quickly been overwhelmed. They call it multitasking, which sometimes is doing a lot of things. I'll stop. <laughs> no fear of man. I'm talking about woman right now. The eye is one of the most complex organs in the human body, and yet we are only able to focus on one thing at a time. This is a picture of our 
focus in our life. I was going to do a, a display of like pictures. You know, my wife has a phone with a, uh, you can set it so like the background is blurry and the one thing is in focus. And you can't do it where you got like, I want to have like four things all in focus. Otherwise, you can't do that. Focus on one thing. This is a powerful picture for us as believers. We cannot ascribe healthy fear to the Lord and healthy fear to men. It's impossible. The fear of man acts as a sponge absorbing all of our attention, all of our energy, and we slowly allow this new covenant that we are co-heirs in to fade to the background of our earthly pettiness. So what's the takeaway? What are we doing with this? Where are we going with this? Romans chapter 12, verses 2 and 3 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt each one the measure of faith but to think soberly. Soberly isn't referring to being drunk or sober. It's talking about accurately seeing things. Be real. Don't be an optimist or a pessimist. Be a realist. And as a believer in Christ, this is the best news you might hear today. As a believer in Christ, being a realist looks even better than being an optimist. Because as a believer in Christ, you won past, present, and future tense. There is no better thing. Optimism is, I think, you know, maybe something good's gonna happen. Realism for a believer is the best thing ever already happened. And I'm part of it. Do not be conformed to this world. That word conformed, we've done, we've talked a lot about this passage here, and we're not gonna sit here forever, but to be conformed means to be shaped into the image of, to be shaped into the image of the world. How does our world function? We talked about it, high octane fear of man. It's everywhere, always, all the time. Fear of man, what does man think? I want man's approval. I want their likes, I want their loves. I want their, I want, what are people gonna say about me? Anybody ever had that thought where you walk out of a room and you think, I wonder what everyone's gonna say about me when I walk out? Or maybe you've been driving down the road and think, I wonder what they're saying now. We can get into that place where we're operating, and I'm, I'm, this is not a message, church, and I don't very, I don't think I've ever preached this, but I don't, this is not one like, I've got this figured out, operating perfectly in my life, I'm not, we're, we're learning, we're walking this together, but the Lord has just revealed this to me, that to be transformed is to be taken, we were in the image of this world, and the world's still trying to shape us, and then we're like, mm, no, power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God says, I'm this. And so we can be transformed by what? The renewing of our mind. Daily renewing our minds to who we are in Christ through the new covenant keeps our eyes fixed accurately on Jesus. And we see things soberly as they truly are, not inflated one direction 
or the other. Paul's instruction to not have an inflated view of ourselves speaks to this fear of man. When we view ourselves with an obtuse perspective, we perceive ourselves to be a bigger deal and our survival becomes disproportionately important. Our survival and man's acceptance of us. See, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their survival was in perfect focus. Completely irrelevant. They weren't, it was like, this is not a deal. We belong to God. God created all of this and is greater than, so what, we're not gonna worship anybody but God. Our survival, it matters like down here. It's irrelevant. Self-focus, self-centeredness is the root of the fear of man. God-focus is the root of the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. If we, under this new covenant of grace, properly value Jesus Christ and our relationship with him, the fear of man, this snare, will have no hold on us. And we can walk through our environments free of fear because the love of God shed abroad in our hearts has cast it out and driven it far from us. We then become free, free to walk with the boldness of lions. Proverbs 28.1 says, free to be as heroic as Sergeant York was. To not love our lives to the death, as the Apostle John wrote, those who overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. That's the fun part of that to quote, isn't it? They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Let's preach. And they did not love their lives to the death. We don't have to preach that. But see, our society inflates our view of ourselves. There's so many different things here. Fear of the Lord may bring a snare. We talked about in the beginning, a snare or a trap confines us. It's a negative place to be. But what do we know about where the Spirit of the Lord is? There's freedom. Freedom from whatever is trying to ensnare us. And I dare say that one of the greatest things trying to ensnare us is this fear of man. The condition of sin, the noun version of sin, the part of us that set us apart from God, was dealt with by Jesus on the cross. He dealt with it. If you're here today and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that's not you can no longer be in bondage to that condition. Now, you can still verb, you can still screw up, you can still do dumb things and get dumb results for sure. But you know what? We can function in serious bondage to this fear of man. We can be controlled and led about by man's approval. But the Spirit of the Lord comes along and says, I can I'll free you from that. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is liberty. This fear of man has no legal rights to us as believers. But just like Eve in the Garden of Eden, we can choose to subject ourselves to the lies of the devil, to the temptation, to the, and I, I heard somebody say this, I wish I would have remembered who it was, this, just in the last couple of weeks, it was a teaching I was listening to and they talked about how Satan does some of his most effective work in one area and it's just asking questions. Satan asks questions. 
What's wrong with you? What are they going to think? Is that even going to work? Are you sure? What? So you can't eat of any, you can't, you can eat of any tree in the, oh no, not the one in the middle. Can't even touch it. And Eve showed her hand. She showed, I don't know exactly what he said. The enemy still roams about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And the only way he can devour us today is through questions. Asking questions. Accusations are almost always presented to us in the form of a question. You say you're this, really? You say you're the righteousness of God and created in Christ Jesus. You hear the question mark in that? The accusation and the question mark? To which, as Jesus replied, as it is written. You stand with me this morning. I'm gonna like to dismiss us with a declaration and I hope this has given some food to thought. Helped us to see clearly how the Lord sees us and how important it is to have an accurate understanding of who we are in Christ. We declare freedom this morning over this family. That the snares of this world would lose their hold on our lives. We declare that we will be people who are led by peace. We will walk boldly into our week knowing that greater is he that is within us than he who is in the world. Willing to choose courage because we know that Jesus promised to never leave us nor forsake us. Lord, we've just scratched the surface of a few things this morning. We've looked at this fear of man compared to the fear of the Lord. And we just pray, Lord, Holy Spirit, just quicken that fear of the Lord in our lives. We can have an accurate understanding of who you are. The greatness contained in the sentence in Jesus' name. That that's not a church thing that we say. Lord, help us to shake free of the need for man's approval of our vocabulary. Father, I just pray that if there's anybody here this morning that is dealing with something the Lord's laid on their heart to do, to start, to try. I just speak freedom over them. Holy Spirit, I pray that, that you would knock the chains off of their heart. Father, I pray freedom from responsibility that aren't ours. Man's, man's approval of the things that we do and the way that we walk and the things we're involved in. Father, I just declare freedom over this body. That everyone in the sound of my voice would throw their shoulders back, take Jesus' hand in theirs, and walk with the boldness of the Lion of Judah. That this reality wouldn't be a principle that we talk about on Sunday, Lord, but that tomorrow morning at first light, you would draw each of us back to your greatness. And that all throughout the day, whether it's a mundane, average Monday or the most exciting day of our lives, Lord, that you would stay first and foremost, front and center, that you would give us an acute sensitivity to your presence in our lives. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are here. Promise to never leave us nor forsake us. 
but to be in our midst always. We're gathered in the name of Jesus. Thank you so much, Lord, for being here with us. Thank you that as we go from this place, we don't have to wonder, Lord, I don't know if you're going with us, but we can declare with confidence that you are with us, and not only with us, but within us. Father, I thank you for each person that's here. Thank you for the greatness of this new covenant. Pray a blessing over the rest of our day and the rest of our week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You guys are dismissed. Have a wonderful week.